Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Iron Radio. If my audio is messed up, it's because I'm at a Best Western, but this is Phil Stevens, powerlifter, Highland Games Life Lead Strength Coach. Hey, this is Dr. Mike Nelson, social professor at the Kerrigan Institute, creator of the Flex Diet Cert and the FizzFlex Cert. And <clears throat> I'll be teaching athlete monitoring again. Uh, it's a 6,000 level class at Rocky Mountain University this fall. People are interested in that. Uh, yeah, check out their program there. I feel like I'm doing paid sponsorships now. I don't make any money other than I get paid to teach, but it's a fun program. I got to kick out to design, which was cool. Other than that, I'm still here in Minnesota. This is Coach Jarrell out of Strength Guild. And, uh, well, actually, I'm the only Strength Guild in the facility <laughs> in the world now, so, uh, in KC and, uh, I don't know. I haven't done anything super crazy or exciting. We're really just getting ready for uh, state championships here in a couple of weeks. What were you saying about before we went on the air? One of our top athletes is out of Pan Ams. Oh yeah, I think yeah, Kate. It was most people wouldn't know her as K Nine because she was K Nine for a while, but I think she's she's going through or has gotten a divorce, so she. Is like Kate Vibert or Vibert now. Um, I just know her. I see her Instagram handle pop up sometimes, so I'm not sure what her last name is. But yeah, she's out with a torn meniscus, which is kind of sad for us because she was she would have been she was putting up world record snatch numbers in training. Like she was hitting the world record snatch, you know, pretty much weekly, and then. From that to torn meniscus, and I'm pretty sure she's out for Pan Ams, which is, you know, sad for us. That would have been, if she could have hit her numbers, I mean, that would have been our first world record, America's first world record in a long time. Mm. Yeah, it's been, we don't have, we, we have no, we have no, Space on the record board. Yeah, I was <laughs> gonna say it's been a while. It'd, it'd be interesting to go back and look when it was, but I, I want to say I think I'm, I want to say Kono actually was probably our last record holder, but I'm not sure. And it would have been like the press. It would have been during the times of the press that we would have had a record. Let's look it up. Hold on. It's time. It's time. I better come out of retirement. Work on my mobility. That's right. <sighs> Just in time for the geriatric Olympics. There you go. Hobble out there. I don't know. Maybe the records don't go back that far. Long time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the records don't go back far enough to find out what the fucking U.S. record. That's... No, I don't know. I just typed it in, and it's like. It doesn't have anything. Let's see. Oh. Yeah, this would be, I mean, I'm, I'm excluding, uh, junior, junior and youth stuff. Cause I think we have had world records in junior and youth in the yeah, last. Uh, the young kid that was coming up had a yeah. youth world record, I think, or junior world record. Uh, Yes, Harrison. Yeah, Harrison's had one, and I think CJ Cummings has had. Yeah, CJ's one at least. 
Yeah, I think they both have had. Yeah. But yeah, and it definitely wouldn't be any of the, like, I don't think, especially women, we wouldn't have a world record with women because women started in 2000 and we were already years behind the drug game at that point. So yeah, yeah, it, it wouldn't have happened then. And then <sighs> probably Paul yeah. Anderson. <laughs> and I, like it, it definitely goes back to the yeah. it's in the 1900s for sure but I don't know yeah. I don't see anything I'd have to actually look a little bit deeper I can't find anything on so in other news and I didn't even know this and I just looked it up CrossFit is uh quickly realizing they're not clean <laughs> so far to this date there were two more yesterday 19 people have been popped for drugs. Wow. 19 athletes have failed their drug test during the semifinal competition. The largest number to date in CrossFit history in one-on-one competition, in one competition stage. And if you look, it's all people that took first and second, too. Huh. wonder Hmm. why they did so well. Shocker. Yeah. (laughs) So. (laughs) uh, Did they change their drug testing or do something different that they have that many people... So my guess is is they're actually testing. Yeah, they never really sort of tested before. I, I know they said they really they did. did. They talked about it, but I don't think they did it much. Yeah. Well, they so they they're under uh, USADA now. So they made this switch oh. a while back, and so and they made this switch because they were under it was whatever the organization that was responsible for collegiate testing and then they got in a lot of like not CrossFit but that testing group got in some trouble because they weren't really testing anyone and I I mean at the time I remember thinking oh yeah do you remember like have you ever heard of a college athlete getting popped for steroids it like never happens yeah and if you ever look out on the field and think oh none of these guys are using drugs you'd be definitely wrong because <laughs> And like there's, you know, obviously natural athletes and stuff like that. But if you the, I mean, either evolution has happened quickly in our lifetime, or these some some of these guys are using a few a little bit of extra compounds. So, um, that that company got in trouble, and there was a lot of bad press from it. And then people were pissed at CrossFit, like, oh, you're using this company, so they switched. And I don't think they were under the full testing cycle or is something like, so you saw them made some changes too, where it's like, they used to have like different tiers to where it's like, okay, we'll test, you know, you guys like this or whatever. But then they switch it to where everyone has to be under the same testing procedures where it's like, if you're on the list, they'll, you know, do the random drops and, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh So it's like, it's very difficult to beat as weightlifting keeps telling everyone, like this is very difficult to like get around. And so CrossFit, I think is just, this is just like catching up. Like this is the CrossFit is experiencing. Oh yeah. Okay. Drugs work. So drugs work better than paleo. And it's weird. I've been (laughs) saying that for quite a long time. Yeah. Did it say what, they got tested for. I mean, the handful, the only one that I pulled up looks like it was carterine, but I was just wondering if they were uh, frankly I'm going just using it right now. Other drugs, or did they think that some of these like 
I guess you could call them a SARM maybe, are just not tested for maybe, and that's, I don't know. It could. Well, some of them are simple ones, like this one should have been busted. He got busted for Austrain and Oral Turnable. Oh, well, that's uh, just part of my question. <laughs> yeah, and so it goes through a few of the people, but it doesn't go into, it just goes through the two newest ones here. Mm. And what did she take? Winstraw. Oh, okay. Well, she's appealing her case. She was probably in her paleo beef. I bet. Oh, yeah. She got tainted, organic, all natural meat. Yeah, the Winstraw is real popular with them cows. Yeah, it's there's a strain <laughs> of uh, oatmeal that it's naturally occurring in. Yeah, and they probably <laughs> fed the cow that super oatmeal. So I'm sure that was it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, boy. Yeah, I mean, some of the other ones I saw was for GW1516, which is Carterin, which is a SARM, which, I don't know, there's some actually a fair amount of data on it. It was actually developed as a pharmaceutical drug, but it was dropped due to side effects. Um, but, I, yeah, it's kind of one of those ones where, I don't know, it looks to be interesting, but at the same point, like, the side effect profile, granted the studies they did were mostly still in mice. I'm like, eh, even if it was legal, it makes me nervous. So, yeah. yeah. Huh, one more bit of news, and I'm just going to give kind of a, a, a shout out and an informative, informative piece to everybody. Uh, Jim Windler. So I don't think it's a secret. It might be. Hell, people might not know. I publish all Windler's books. And I'm just going to tell everybody, if you see his books, if you want to buy one of Wendler's books, there are two places to do it, Amazon and his site. I've located 17 bookstores that some publisher illegally printed his book this week, and they oh, sold geez. these bookstores. Yeah. <clears throat> so we're not talking the ebook being spread around. You're talking the hardcover, right? Printed. They, they printed a physical hardcover book. And mailed it out to a bunch of, and sold it to a bunch of bookstores. So. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, if you want to support Jim, uh, go to either Amazon or his site. Anything else where you're buying a new book is not, it's being stolen. So. Just so people know. No, that's interesting because I, I go back and forth on that. Just as some of my stuff is e-products and then. I'll be helping Caldeets with Triphasic 2, which we're thinking we, I don't know. It's a catch-22 because he's got so many links, and, you know, you want people to have a good experience. So you want them to have links to the, you know, website and videos and everything else. But you also know that if it's an ebook, it's just so easy for people to oh, yeah. not buy it at all. So we're debating about not doing ebook at all and literally yep. just only doing a print version through Amazon. But yep. I'm open to any feedback on that. That's what Winler did with Forever Book. It's the yeah, I know. Not on, and it was, there was so much theft. Once we found we found one site where he lost over five million dollars in sales. Oh. And it was like, okay, we're done with ebooks. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you want the book? You just got to get a hard copy. So, my only. I, think I want to switch other, to that. I, uh, a lot of people switch to that. Just hard copies deal. Yeah. And if not, my suggestion is, like, five years, do just hard copy. Oh, so time, for the first five years, just hard copy and then do, like, a ebook type thing? 
and then launch it again. Because then you're going to at least have most of your fucking sales. Prior, yeah. You know? And then then let the theft begin. I mean, you're pretty much just agreeing to have theft when you put out an ebook. Yeah. You know? Massive amounts of it. So. Yeah. I mean, especially with those guys, because, I mean, they've obviously more than paid their dues. You're, I mean, you're literally getting decades of their experience like boiled yeah. down into a book for you know 50 60 bucks or less yep. i mean it's like come on man you know <laughs> yep. so yeah i just want to put that out there for people that Not was rather upsetting enough. so i'm sure there's litigation coming but oh yeah but, yeah and people forget too that it's just the amount of time to try to track all that stuff down and the effort yep. and you the attorneys involved and all just the monkey motion that goes into it and then a lot of them are sometimes in different countries and blah 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 it's just yep it's just a lot of effort it's like man i don't want some author like out there doing that i want them to put out more cool shit so i can read exactly a decade of their experience for 50 bucks not chasing down all these other people yep <laughs> so you went to a seminar this weekend let's talk about that and dig into this topic yeah so kind of the the topic might be maybe our power lifters, the best, best athletes <laughs> or just kind of just speed development. Uh, Cause I know Cal's gotten a bunch of shit. I actually, we asked him if we could say this quote is attributed to him and he said it was so that his job is creating athletes, not power lifters, which I don't even know how that's even controversial anymore. I mean, <laughs> I, they're just two different sports. Like if you yes. want to do power lifting, that's awesome. Woohoo. Go great. Like train for powerlifting. Yep. If you want to create athletes, then yeah, you're going to need to lift weights. Like powerlifting might be some aspect of that if they're really weak. But I mean, we've all seen examples of athletes at the highest level who, you know, at some point, if you add another hundred pounds to your squat, sometimes they get worse because they're just slower. They didn't need more, you know, limit strength that's created at a very slow velocity. They needed you know, high velocity, you know, specific work to transfer to their sport. Yeah. So, and I think it's actually gotten, I don't know what your guys' opinion is, but I think it's actually gotten a lot better at least the last five, 10 years where I remember like going back to old clinics 10, 12 years ago, it's like, you want athletes, you get them to squat heavy all the time. Yeah. Like, yeah, I think that's a component, especially if you've got younger athletes who are super weak, but when you're talking like high level, even high level college athletes, at, you know, at some point, I don't think you're just going to see a huge return on it. And at some point they're going to start going backwards. No, and that's, I agree 100%. That's, I mean, it comes back, what it brings me back to, and I think you're right, it's gotten better, but it brings me back to like, help oh, God, it's probably 13, 14 years ago, maybe more. When you guys remember David Boston, San Diego Chargers? Oh, yeah. He came and balled out, yeah. had a hell of a year. Then he he had a Pro Bowl year, and then he, in the offseason, hired, hired Charles Poliquin. Yep. Came back the next season, like, 30 pounds heavier, just fucking jacked, and could not play football. Yeah. So he got schooled. <laughs> he could not play anymore. So, like, he had a horrible season. It looked good. looked really good. But uh, <laughs> yeah. I it did the- not translate. If I remember so, right, there's a whole bunch of press beforehand, like showing his transformation and all this yep. stuff. And then, like, when it got time to play on the field, it just was very disappointing. <laughs> yep. yep. 
So no, and like you said, I think it, it's also dependent. You can't lose the uh, factor of where the athlete's at. Yeah. Like a beginner, I like that pitcher I had come in. I had a pitcher come in ten years ago. He was the slowest kid on the team. Still had like a ninety mile an hour fastball, but he was an eel. You know, six foot two, <laughs> one hundred and eighteen pounds, and literally all I did was make him squat. But that's because on day one his max squat was my fifteen pound aluminum bar. Yeah. <laughs> so we got him to like a 185 squat and miraculously his running times went way down. Yeah. Uh, because he was like a, he was like a puppy, uh, great name prior to that. You know, he just, he was so weak he couldn't control his four foot long limbs, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so that's simple. That's, and that's, that's a case of where, yeah, some basic powerlifting training can make you faster just because you're so incredibly weak. Yeah. Uh, but at the higher stages, no. I mean, that's the people poo-poo on, like, they watch NFL films and stuff and what the athletes are doing. And they're like, oh, that doesn't work for me. Yeah, but they're already at, they're physically near their peak already. Whereas you're, like, you're squatting 185 and they're squatting 500. Squatting more for them is not going to do anything. You know, they've they've got their strength plus 10% that they need. So... Yeah, and they're, yeah, they're stronger than you think. Unless, yeah. uh, like, so the people who are more reactive and like more tendon strength, I, I always go back to the example of like uh, the sprinters, uh, Carl Lewis, and then Ben, whatever his name was, I forget his name, Ben, ben Johnson, the Canadian Ben Johnson, yeah, yeah. So it's like basically like a overpowering strength guy versus a very you know light not strength guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. But if if you're not the strength guy who's fast, you know that before you ever step in a gym. Like, you're yeah. fast before you ever get there. Whereas, it's like, you might be fast on the other side a little bit, but strength takes you the rest of the way. But for us, it's like, and I, I try my best to, can you know, talk to the youth athlete parents and youth athletes about this as best I can. But it's like strength through high school. And after that, the strength is like some sort of maintenance. If you're consistent in high school, high school and college probably. But yep. it's like after double body weight, two and a half body weight, it's like you're not adding to your athleticism beyond the two, two and a half body weight squat. Yeah. Like if you are, it's like very minimal. It's like, you know. But I saw I think one of our athletes or brought a video of uh, Nick Chubb. Yes. I think he, he squatted like six. 610 or 615 for a double with like a the tsunami bar or whatever. And it was like, you know, when you see that, you're like, oh, okay, that's a pro athlete. And I've had that part of that experience quite a bit where you're like, oh, we're weightlifters and we do weightlifting stuff. But then there's like James Townsend who shows up. He's not like a great weightlifter, but you're like, oh, okay, he's, he's a pro athlete. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, I mean, it goes back to, and like what you're saying, I've been paying a lot more attention to the NFL and the draft and everything like that. And one thing I noticed is it ties in right with what you're saying. Like a lot of the strength training happens in junior high, high school, and then college. What I'm seeing, all these NFL teams now, they're getting these top college prospects. And what do they do to them now? Okay, it's time to lean them out. Uh, Generally, they're leaning them out 
because the speed of the game goes up so much. Yeah. You know, they were able to, they just got strong for college. Like, you just need to get stronger. You just need to get stronger. And in that, of course, to get strong fast, they had to eat a bunch. Um, now they've got that strength. They've made it to the pro level. Now you need to adjust to the speed of the pro level. So they're having these guys that are already strong. How are we going to make you faster? Well, the good way is drop 20 pounds. You know, drop some of that 20 pounds of fluff you use to get strong while maintaining your strength. So, um Strength is definitely not the end all be all. Look at, I mean, hell, look at me. Uh, there was a point in time before I started powerlifting, I could do the splits. Now I'm stronger than I ever have been, but like I would be, it would probably be trouble if you guys had me go out and run like six sprints. Yeah, something would probably go bad. <laughs> but it's just because I'm such a one show pony now. I mean, I am built to do three things: squat, bench, and deadlift. Yeah, you know. And I've taken it that far. And some people, that's a mistake a lot of people make. You know, they think, okay, just more powerlifting. It'll be good for the athletes. Yeah, to a point. Yeah. yeah. And I kind of groaned there when you mentioned that because my hesitation is if you can keep the exact same speed and power and drop 20 pounds, yeah, like you're going to be faster. There's no question, right? Physics yeah. works. But I've just seen so many people do it so wrong and oh, you just yeah. see – all this time and effort they put to, you know, increase the muscle and they do like the stupidest things yes. and you're like, but now you got worse and you're smaller. Oh, yeah. Shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, there's definitely some of that. I think across the board, though, strength and conditioning, even in pro sports, sadly, has gotten better. You would think oh, pro yeah. sports strength and conditioning was great before, uh, but a lot of it was. <laughs> um, and I think. Well, what you're seeing too is a lot more of the high end athletes. They're, they're taking control of their own. Like in the off season, they have their own coach. Yeah. And they've moved away from the facility, but, uh, and smartly so. It seems to be working, but, uh, yeah. Yeah. And also when they, they show clips of athletes training too, is it, is it in season or is it off season? Yes, exactly. You know, a, a good buddy of mine here, I won't mention his name. I don't want to get him in any trouble, but, he does really good stuff. Like he does a lot of off season training with a lot of Minnesota Vikings. Like in my opinion, him and Lauren Landau are probably like the two top movement coaches. Like if you wanted the top movement mechanics and actual coaching, like, you know, they're the guys to go to, but even, you know, some of his training, like he used to be really big into plyometrics, a lot of weight training. And honestly, now he's like, he's like, yeah, even off season, he's like, we do some stuff, but not that much. He's like, most of these guys are, even at an elite level, they're not elite level movers. And he's like, they're not going to get to the game speed they need to get to by adding <clears throat> another 50 pounds to their squat, right? They're just not going to get that much transfer out of it. Um, but then you look at in-season training, too, and it's like, well, he was saying, he's like, yeah, I've got a running back. And he's like, He's like, yeah, it's week 14. He's like, it feels like he's been in four car accidents just trying to keep them all together. <laughs> yeah. You know, because you're playing a violent collision sport. Oh, yeah. Yes. And you don't want to beat the crap out of your athletes in the weight room, and they got to go get hit by these, you know, 300-plus-pound people running Mach 4 at them. Yep. You know, but you have to do something because you can't let them all just, you know, completely degrade because then they're at an even higher risk from yeah. getting hit. In such a long season. You know, you're talking. Right. Many weeks. August through, you know, they're starting training camp now. So they're going hard from yeah. now through February if they're lucky enough to go to the playoffs and everything else. But, right. So, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Some I think guy was, 
he went to the Bears as an intern, and they put him in charge of uh, Brian Urlacher. Uh-huh. <laughs> and they told him, they're like, okay, here's the deal. You're in charge of him. Your whole number one job is uh, don't injure him and make sure he doesn't injure himself. <laughs> he's, like, he's like, oh, okay. And he's like, if he gets injured, don't even check in with the office. Just pack your bags and just leave. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, okay, got it, got it. Now this guy's worth, you know, several million dollars a year. So he's like, so he's like, yep. So day one, I'm having him do this incline run on treadmill sprints, which is what they had programmed. And Erlacher is like looking over at the guy next to him to see how fast he's running. And he's like, wow, I'm going to run faster than this guy, no matter what. Yeah. And he's going, oh my God, he's going to break himself on day one. I'm going to be unemployed and my career is going to be yeah. done. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's got to be the hardest thing because, and I've noticed that just with like the, you know, the better athletes, like truly competitive people, you oh, spend yeah. a lot more of your time holding them back and just yep. trying to convince them that, yo, relax, 70% is right. fine. But, like that's, that's the, that's the main place. 70% is fine. I think that's the nature of the beast though, because most people that are super yeah. high level athletes are super driven. So yeah. And that's what you have to do. The weird thing is that the low level, it's you're trying to pull everybody up. At the elite level, from what I've seen, it's it's like you said, it's putting a leash on those fighters and being like, slow down, bro, slow down, hold yourself back. You know what's going to hurt you is your drive is so high. So, yeah, and that's why I mean, a lot of times with higher level athletes, that's really the only reason I use HRV. Yeah. I mean, most of the time, their recovery is like you know pretty good. But it's the times that they did overstep a little bit to be like, hey, you know, just so you know, your body still thinks you need a little bit more recovery. Like, no, bro, I'm fine. I can do it. Good. Well, you you can, but should you is the better question. And they're like, no, I'm good. So I'm like, all right. So I just let him go for another day. Comes back red the next day. Like, whoa, what happened? I'm like, Uh well, it's like the early warning system on the car. It's telling you. Just slow down for a day or two, and, you, and you'll be fine. Like, it's, you know, you don't want to scare the crap out of them either, but at some point you want to try to have some leverage to pull them back a little bit so they don't, you know, completely blow the engine on day seven. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. I mean, I, I don't know how, like, how it goes for most people, but just having people be patient with the program, and this goes really for everyone. And I, I sent an email out to my group yesterday about, you know, average relative intensity and why we spend most of our time in the 70 to 80% range and we don't test all the time. Mm-hmm. And like the number one question is like, how do I, and this is like a very impulsive, you know, answer. And I don't know how to like truly get people to like understand it without years of coaching, but it's like, you just have to trust the system. And then when the test happens, you'll be better, but stronger, faster, whatever. It's almost like, you know, you, you go to bake something and you open the oven every three minutes. Like, is it done yet? Is it done yet? <laughs> like, yeah. you know, and it's tough to get people to say, be patient enough. And the stronger and more athletic you are, the closer to your peak you are, it's the more patient you have to be. Like, yeah. and how do you convince somebody to be that patient? Right. Like, I mean, the Olympians, they they're spending four years to put three to seven kilos on their whole total. Like yeah. I have people who cannot stand to not put three kilos on their total every week. Like, and they're like, I'm, I'm getting worse. And it's like, you got to chill out. Like it is, <laughs> you know, play the long game. And it's, 
and I, I've only worked with a few pro athletes. Most of the ones that pro guys I worked with were kind of not, they weren't really into the training. They were kind of lazy, honestly, like, yep. which in some cases kind of helps some of those guys out. Like I could see how that would be beneficial to some of them where they're like, Oh, this is just practice. And they kind of just, nah, and they accidentally train fine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just because they're not like trying to prove like every five seconds, trying to prove how awesome they are. Yeah. Yeah. And then some of those, those guys, especially I've seen it just in college, like they can kind of screw around and like, you know, probably make it, some of them make it to the pros, but they just don't seem to have the longevity because they just don't want to train. And they're like, but I can go out and perform like this and do fine without training. And it's hard to convince them that, yeah, it may help your performance a little bit, but it may help you play for many years. And then you watch them as they get older towards the end of their career. They're like, okay, what do I do now? I want to play another two more years. It's like, eh, stuff we can do, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> they also had some other good stuff about, um, so Cal and Chris Porfis are doing a lot of stuff with foot and ankle complex. So if you've watched any of Cal's videos, he does a lot of like a floating heel. So you're going more off of <clears throat> the ball of your foot, whether it's a splits, uh, like a safety bar split squat or different movements like that. And just some, it's got some really good isometrics that I stole and I've used with my clients. It's been very helpful. And the analogy that I use with clients is that <clears throat> if you're in an athletic sport, imagine you have like an F1 car, but you've got really bad tires on it. Like if your grip strength is atrocious and your feet and ankles are super weak, those are like your tires and you're just literally leaving horsepower everywhere. But if you can get those strong enough to make sure that you can transfer everything, you're going to be well off. And, you know, most of that doesn't take a ton of additional training. It just takes some more specificity for, you know, what they're actually doing. Yeah. But I think we see some of that, and I like we got into there. The problem I see is it's on both sides. Uh, but at the local level, what I see is a lot of people trying to train weak young athletes like they're professionals. Oh, yeah. So yeah. lots of wasting time with little shuttle drills and bullshit like that, where, the, like, the kids, the reason he's not able to make that cut is because his body's just not strong enough. Yeah, he's too weak in that position. He's too weak to do it. Yeah. So that I mean, could be an issue too. Even with like just a just a basic understanding of like some physics physics principles, it's like if you don't have the force to stop that your initial because there's a lot of force going into your foot in general if you were to change direction. Yes. And the the beginning is just about like force production. And like you spend like I mean middle school through high school into college that like you spend that producing like learning to produce force. Mm-hmm. And then like when you kind of get into that late high school early college you, you need to learn how to produce that force quickly. But if you don't, you know, and it just is you know the high school coaches either one spectrum or the other, but never understanding when the change happens. Yeah, is like is like okay. I mean, Jim Windler talks about, you know, going to, you know, London High and then essentially just 
implementing a consistent strength program for the whole year and the team flipping their, you know, you know, record essentially. Yeah. The whole program around. Yep. Yeah. It flips the program and it's just a basic strength program. Now those kids going from that basic strength program and let's say they graduate, the things they did to get there probably wouldn't work for them in college now. Like they have to kind of shift it a little bit and start practicing other things to improve yep. at their sport. Yes, I agree. And the good thing is what we could hope is that like the early developmental stages, like a big problem I see in youth sports is the, the sole focus of the coach is not on the athletes getting better. It's on the team winning. Yes. And at the youth level, I would argue 100% needs to be on the athletes. Like who gives a shit? I mean, yeah, it's neat to win the high school state world series or whatever. But literally, like, your job is to hopefully make these kids to the next level. What can I do best to get these kids to the next level? If we win along the way, that can be a byproduct of just training them well. Instead, what you see is they lean on these kids' strength and burn them out, you know. And and they never work on their weaknesses. They try to fill in gaps with other kids. And, uh, you know, in a perfect world, that's what would happen. By the time you get to college, like, the strength and conditioning part's kind of taken care of, you know, mm-hmm. because hopefully they did that in junior high and high school. But uh it's not a lot of that's happening, sadly. But, um, like, in a perfect world, like, Jim's got it set up now because they took over the, the junior high, too. So, basically, Juliet has the junior high, so she can get form down in those two years. By the time they get to Jim, they know the system. They know, you know, like they can move right in the weight room. So now he can then make them strong. You know, <laughs> there's none. He that, doesn't have two years wasted having to teach them. And then that's the dream setup right there. Yeah, it is. You know, one hundred percent. If we could get it implemented across nationwide, I mean that okay, yeah. junior high, like the only thing you need to do with these kids is just teach them how to do basic moves in the gym correctly. Inefficient. Take two fucking years and do that. So by the time they're ready for high school and their hormones are screaming, okay, let's make them strong. You know, they already know what they're doing. We can start pushing them now. So, uh, yeah. I was going through these drug tests, man. They like, the, the, these ladies like the, uh, the Winstraw. Yeah. Lots of that going on. Hmm. So. That's probably not that surprising, is it? No. But it's CrossFit. I thought they were just like sweet potatoes. No, the bad one is, I don't even know what this is. Copa Sur? It must be a contest. Uh, I don't know where it's at. But no idea. First, second, third, fourth, and fifth place all tested positive. Oh. <laughs> they had to go back to sixth to get a winner. Oh. Uh, yeah. I think it's South American. Yeah. They got the good drugs down there. I remember crossing the border with one of my clients, and, like, we were 14 feet past the fucking borderland <laughs> security, and there's dudes, like, with bottles screaming, you want this? You want this? Dude, they're right there. What the fuck? Even if I did want that, I don't want you out here in front of them screaming to me. I got to cross the border with that shit. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't want it. Get away from me. I'm here for tacos, man. I mean, here's 
Yeah, the CrossFitters though, they're just in denial. And like when I, so when I first came over here to this gym, the owner was all CrossFit and I, I kind of just, you know, flippantly made a comment about like, Oh yeah, these dudes are definitely using drugs. Like, you know, just being in the know. And it's not like I judge them. Like if the top CrossFit guys are using drugs and they're, you know, succeeding, I don't think of them as they're cheating. It's like they're succeeding in a drug sport. You know, against other drugged athletes. Same as like, uh, Lance Armstrong. I don't, yep. I'm not gonna, you know, poop on him too much just because he, you know, you had to find the 26, it's like 26 or something, like the top 20 guys got yes. tested. Yes. And he beat all of those guys. And it's, that's just the system of the setup, but it like shocked like the, the owner here. He was like, no, no, they're, they're just training really hard. And it's like, man, look. If you've been in the game long enough and you worked with performance athletes long enough and you see how they look and carry themselves and how they train and you're like, yeah, all right. Yeah, there's only so many sweet potatoes in the world that will help you to get that physique year round and be getting making these leaps in performance. Yeah. Yeah. And Especially like, as an, a more advanced athlete. Oh, yeah. And, and like so there was a girl I worked with. Um, just on weightlifting stuff. And I kind of had told her a long time ago, I was like, I was like, look, weightlifting is, if you want to, you know, be natural and you don't want to go the drug route or whatever, this is, you know, weightlifting is your best opportunity to use that athleticism and be, you know, and be in a sport where it's like respected to be natural, essentially. Yes. Like they test enough. But if you want to go into CrossFit, yeah, you're going to have to. And she was like, what? That's crazy. No way. I don't know. I was like, okay. You know. But then she went and trained with some of the, you know, local regional guys who were, you know, doing well at regionals at the time. This was that long ago. And they told her, like, oh, yeah, you're not even tall enough to ride the rides if you don't even, if you're not using drugs. Like, you better get on them yeah. or get out. <laughs> well, yeah, or, it's just the truth of the sport. Yeah, I mean, I think Louis has comments like that. Like, honestly, it just is what it is. and. Yep. My thing is I don't understand, you know, disrespecting or being disrespectful to those athletes for using when it's like there's no other way to compete at that level, yes. really, unless you do. Most everybody's doing it. Yeah, I mean, there's very little. And even the guy, like the people who win, it's like I really just look at them as like the people who didn't get caught. Like I don't yeah. really look at them as like. Yep. And, and so when people get popped, I'm like, it's fine. Yep. Like they just gave Liu Zhaojun a, a gold gold medal because they took it from the other guy who, you know, made the 14 kilo jump. Yeah. To to beat him, they took it from him and gave it to Liu. If you look at Liu's physique and think, oh yeah, what a natural athlete that is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Rice and soybeans, baby. That's it. <laughs> exactly. You know All what they right. told us at the Chinese? So I went to the Chinese and I met him in uh, Lao Hui. Yeah. So the two best Chinese lifters at the time and their coach. And, you know, they weren't, you know, obviously they weren't talking about any of that stuff, but I know they were pissed because when they came over here, uh, the first thing you saw to try to do was test them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and like, so they were pissed about that. But the one thing they, they said like, Oh, we like spicy food, like really spicy. I was like, okay. All right, guys. Like just. At least just be like, yeah, just look, we do different supplements. Say something like that. Don't, 
don't tell these poor young kids. Just eat really spicy food. <laughs> that Cantonese chicken, man. Yeah, exactly. Some of those people are are shitting their brains out right now, just yeah. trying to eat the spiciest food and get strong and swearing by it. Yeah. Because Liu Zhaojun told them, hey, maybe try spicy food, really spicy food. I don't know if you guys caught this. Did you know that uh, uh, speak while we're on the drugs topic? I didn't realize this until I was at that uh, Red Sox game. Um, drug testing, steroid testing is gone out of baseball now. Really? Yeah. It ended. I didn't yeah, know that. So the drug policy that they put in 20 years ago, like it expired, and they didn't renew it. Nah. Basically, they cannot. We're at that point again where you can't test baseball players for steroids. Here comes the home yeah. record, Red Rackets, baby. We're going back to the days of Barry Bonds, and, yep, it's going to be fun. Ooh. Can we go to Vegas and somehow bet on the upcoming season? I know. <laughs> like, home run derby next year is going to be badass. Legally, of course, yeah. I mean. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so. Well, they're and, – and that's the thing, too. Like, how terrible is it that they're – so their numbers are down. Like, their viewership is down, and they're losing ground to not only football, but basketball and other sports. I mean, hell, I think Drew Brees just invested in a pro pickleball team, so. Yep. Really? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. I didn't so know they had pickleball. Oh, man. It's like 50 to 60K a year if you're a pro pro, And if you see it, none of them look like pro athletes. So yeah. the drugs aren't there yet, but they're coming. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, it's like their their numbers are down, so they're like, oh, we got to use drugs. Like, yep. It's like, come it's on, man. If you're going to be. Yeah, it's more entertaining. It just is. Yeah, when Barry Bonds and Mark McGuire were knocking fucking dingers. Oh, yeah. The, the ratings went through the fucking roof. Yeah, best ever. <laughs> so, who cares that he gained, like, three hat sizes? You know, that, shit, <laughs> that shit's natural. Let's do this. So, yeah. Oh, what other tidbits did you get on... Uh, increasing speed, Mike, that we can give um, you. So I'm going to say a couple of the other two. Um, I teach for RPR, Reflexive Performance Reset, so obviously I'm biased that way. But uh, Chris Corfus had some new stuff using that. So for people who aren't familiar, it's just a way of kind of doing work on your own fascial system or different targets on your body to make sure that the muscles are working better. Um, so Cal's referred to some of the data, and I can't remember blanking now who the – I don't think it was Verkashansky, but some of the old Russian research that showed that from their, you know, entry-level athletes to elite athletes, it was the time that the muscle can relax and then therefore be turned on again. That was one of the rate limiters. So with RPR, you're doing things to help get better activation, and I've also noticed it does help with better relaxation, too. So you can get a muscle neurologically to turn on and off faster. And so that was <clears throat> sort of some different tests and ways of, of doing that. A lot of it was uh, putting the person in, like, a gait-specific position and doing work, which I've done on just a handful of people doing sprinting and stuff here. Uh, we would have them just sprint out in front of the house. I'd just watch and go, hmm, looks like that's probably not going where it should, you know, pick the right drill for them, do the activation, have them run again. And a lot of times it makes a huge difference. We had one female athlete here. It's funny. 
does a run, is all warmed up and everything. It's like, oh, that looks pretty good. And you can see, like, it looks like her, you know, ankle arch was kind of collapsing a little bit in her high force. So I do a spot on the calf, which corresponds to the arch. I said, okay, you know, take it, you know, do the same thing, do the run again. She gets to, like, the third stride. She's like, what the fuck was that? Yeah. <laughs> and you can see that everything just kind of smoothed out. Gotcha. Um, so different neurologic stuff to do for that. And then a lot of the new stuff Cal has is how do you get high levels of, you know, rate of force development in the right vectors? Granted, this force is more for just linear speed development. So doing things where you're going to be in a split stance and moving very fast forward kind of violently against like super heavy bands, um, some not really depth jumps, but, you know, accelerated with bands, without bands, a lot of uh, kind of isometrics. He's got some very interesting ones for hamstring stuff where it looks like the person's just kicking against bands, but the band is providing the resistance. And if you've ever tried any of them, I'm absolutely horrible at them. You look at these videos, these athletes are like, yeah, I think I could probably do that. And you're like, nope, not even close. My hamstring like <laughs> cramps up within like half a second. Gotcha. Because <laughs> you realize like how fast and violent the contractions are. Um, so you had a whole bunch of stuff on that, which was super interesting. And then Dan Victor had a lot of great stuff on the use of kind of the old kind of DB hammer methods. You guys have been around long enough to remember who he was sort of. I guess you could say the shock methods, although he wouldn't use that term, but just terms people are probably familiar with. Uh, so drop jumps, things like that. And his point was, which I agree with, is that if you have to do something that's survival-based, that's reactive, you know, all your musculature has to try to turn on. And you can just watch the person and see could they handle that force and could they stop where they needed to stop. So Because, you know, the big question is like, well, if I do – you know, a drop off a box, how big of a box? Yeah. He's like, just watch them. He's like, your easy starting point is your vertical jump. So if the athlete's vertical jumps 24 feet, that means their brain says, hey, you can probably land from 24 feet. But if we want a bigger vertical jump, then we need to teach them back to how do you absorb force from 26 inches? How do you do that? And then once you do that, you can probably jump, you know, 26 inches. So he said, just start them out on a, a drop, very easy. That's probably less than the vertical jump, and just watch if they can absorb the force. If they can't stop where you want them to stop in the position, then it's too big of a load. So just, you know, take the load down. Um, I thought you yeah. said 24 feet for a second. I was like, you guys are doing 24 oh, foot drops. No. <laughs> I was like, holy shit. 24 inches. I got feet and inches mixed up. I have to get up. <laughs> I'll have to get a ladder to get people on the roof here. And <laughs> yeah, hardcore parkour. That's what the rush yeah. is. Yeah, I was like, wow. I figured out I, they were wrong. Yeah, advanced I rushing this, methods. I need to go to this <laughs> seminar and check that out because I don't know if I'd participate in that one. But be a good televised sport. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I think the... I think they're selling the course online somewhere. If you look on, I think it's probably through Cal's site, XL Athlete, and you can probably find it. Might be kind of hard to find. Again, I don't, I don't have any disclosures. I don't make any money off of the sales of it, but I am helping <coughs> write up some of the methods and stuff in Triphasic 2, which I don't know when it'll be out, but I'm 
trying to get it out as soon as possible. Obviously, it's all Cal stuff. Yep. Do you have anything that like shifted your belief when you were like sometimes you went into the seminar thinking and then it was like you about faced on it after you know leaving? Uh, I would say nothing radical per se. You know, a lot of just stuff where you can add and play around with and just, you know, kind of see what works or just different sort of, aha, oh, that makes sense. <clears throat> I mean, I guess the from the overall seminar, the stuff that I would think would probably be most radical to most coaches would be some of the RPR methods because they, and I get tons of interesting emails about this, but it looks bad shit crazy. Like you look at it and you're like, there's no way. And you're, you're basing it off of manual muscle testing and blah, blah, blah. And it's like all the caveats I'd be like, I don't know, it just looks like, you know, circus tricks, you know. Yeah. And from doing a lot of the, you know, hands-on work, that kind of stuff for years in the past, shit, I probably wasted three years by being a magician at athletes on the table and never bothered to test them standing up or I just assumed it would transfer to their sport. And then I started testing people. I'm like, okay. Get off the table, walk around the table, lay back down. Oh, shit. None of this works. Okay. Stand up, do three jumps, get back on the table. Uh-oh. It didn't, it didn't hold. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I found some of the RPR stuff and other methods do actually hold under load. Um, so the transfer of them appears to be quite high, which is useful. And then I think the other part was... Just the the rate of force development you have to have for, let's say, linear sprinting, it's just, it's just so ridiculously high, right? I mean, you're probably not even going to get that with Olympic weightlifting. So then you have to kind of go outside of that and think, okay, how am I going to get some type of, you know, violently fast movement in the gym that's going to transfer to sprinting, yeah. you know, and and Obviously, like at the U of M, they've got, you know, nice equipment like 1080s and things that can pull you a little faster and a little slower and different methods like that. But if you were to look at most of his speed training, you'd be like, what? This doesn't, there's no Olympic lifting. You know, they have, they rotate between a speed, a power, and strength phases. So he has a, a system that looks at, like, your 20-yard dash or I think your pro agility. It might be one other method. And based off of all the data that he inputted over the last two decades, it'll say, okay, now do a speed phase or now do a power phase or, you know, strength is your limiter. So now, you know, do a strength phase. So you can use that <clears throat> to just auto-regulate um, your training. And he said with some of his athletes, he said some of his newer female athletes, you know, it'll say, you know, they may have like three strength blocks in a row just to get stronger. And yeah. then they may have <clears throat> a power block and then a speed block. But it's based on kind of an auto-regulatory method where you can kind of figure out what is the next thing that they need. You know, it goes back to the original discussion we had. Sometimes you're just not strong enough to hold that position. Yeah. It's just literally a strength issue. Sometimes you are strong enough to hold it, but you're just slow Sometimes you just can't create enough, you know, power in that position either. Um, yeah, so I thought that was, like, really interesting because, again, the goal is to create transfer to what the athlete is doing on the track. And the last part, too, is that Chris Corfus was talking about the use of a little bit of overspeed training. 
they have a device called the 1080. It's just kind of like this large wheel with a string on it where it'll measure uh, speed. But you can also apply force to it. So you can do like legit overspeed training where it's going to pull you faster forward. And he said the biggest thing he figured out with that from watching film was even in some of his younger athletes, he'll actually do that. He said not necessarily at a super high rate and not necessarily because overspeed is just going to make them faster. He realized that at a certain percentage, it puts them into a better form. Right? It's almost like your body realizes you're going faster than what you've gone before, and it feels a little bit uncomfortable. So you kind of go back to a little bit more of a reflexive type motion. And he said for some of his track athletes, his sprinters, that's super useful as a technique because when they do overspeed training, they can get them into a better position than if they didn't do it. So I thought that was pretty cool because a lot of the earlier research I read on overspeed training, it just it seemed to work a little bit, but didn't pan out so well. But again, if you're using it as more of a technique focus, you know, then there might be a use for it in a different way. Yeah. Well, I mean, it has to be kind of akin to like a heavy walkout or something. Sure. Yeah. yeah. It's just telling your body, look, you can do this. You know? Yeah. It's sending this neural signal that, oh, okay, you didn't die. Maybe we can push this thing up a little bit over time. Of course, it's going to like one walkout's never going to, do anything but you know over time if you do short stints of that like a walkout takes five seconds you know you do a couple of those over months and all of a sudden your body's like oh shit that's not so bad you know so yeah that, i mean that makes sense would you say a lot of that adaptation then is like the ability to turn on turn off a lot of that's just neural right i mean so you got yeah. the strength you got the strength you're just <clears throat> you're neurally inefficient so getting these people the ability to to turn on what they got and then quickly turn it over. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, especially for sprinting. I mean, that's kind of the name of the game, right? Yeah. You know, most people won't have the mechanics of what Bolt has, for example, who's, you know, just a complete outlier in terms of yeah. even sprinting. Um, and most of the athletes then you're dealing with at a, you know, even a more advanced college level are hopefully relatively strong, you know, at a, a bigger school. Um, yeah, so it's just the, <clears throat> the nervous system you're left with. And then it's like, how do you train that? And then how do you keep the quality of that relatively high? So for a lot of his stuff for speed and power, like most of his sets, I think are around like 10 seconds max. So they're pretty short, right? And again, this was yeah. geared towards sprinting, right? Yes. You know, 100 meter sprint, yeah, you know, around 10 seconds, 12 seconds, yeah. you know, depending on the athletes. So it's specific to what they were trying to improve. And then he has them do pretty wide variety of exercises. And then they go through that at a relative rapid pace from one to the next. And then those are set up in certain rounds. So they'll do like block one, two, three, four. They'll go through all those exercises. Might be 10, 12, 13 exercises. And at the end, he'll do like a vertical jump test, see where they're at. And then if that's good, then he may have them go through again. Um, so it was interesting when I talked to him about that. He's like, well, I might change that because he's like, most of his athletes are getting better and better each round that they went through. So at what point do you cut them off? Maybe a vertical jump isn't the best test, but it just seemed like the more volume they could go through up until a point, they obviously did better. Yeah. But it's figuring out 
where exactly is that point, right? Because you have to look at the week, the month, the year in terms of total training volume, not necessarily per day. So he said he's still trying to play around with the exact kind of cutoff point for the day. Because he said even some of his better athletes, like round one, they'll do good. Round two, they'll do better. Round yeah. three, they'll even do better. It's like sometimes round four, they'll even do better. Yeah. Um, but these are also athletes who have gone through specific aerobic-based training. Their aerobic system is highly developed. So they can also handle a lot of volume of work and still keep the quality high, too, where, you know, lower-level athletes or athletes who just don't have much experience or not conditioned as well, you know, one or two rounds, they're probably going to be cooked for a while just because they're yeah. not acclimated to it. Interesting. Yeah. Hi. Well, I think it was a good show. Yeah. Yeah, fun stuff. We will do it all again next week. Same bat place, same bat time. I'm going to go pick up some sheep. Sheep. I'll post pictures. I'm getting yeah. four-horned sheep. They're like the devil-looking sheep. They have four horns. Oh, wow. So, yeah. New mascot. <laughs> yep. <laughs> all right, guys. We'll talk to you next week. Cool. All right. See you guys. Later. Bye.